missed the first three messages, you can catch them online and got, get caught up. Today's the culmination of the message. Thank God for Jesus. And here's what's interesting. On the way down a few weeks ago from the mountain where I live up in uh, Ramona, way, way, way up in the mountain country. On the way down, my, my eight-year-old likes to read me uh, questions out of her Bible. And three Sundays ago, I was going to teach on Jesus, the freedom fighter, or the freedom from religion, Christian freedom. On the way down, she opens her book and says, Daddy, what, is, what does Christian freedom mean? Out of the entire Bible, she asked me the one question of the sermon I was going to preach. Then last Sunday... I was going to preach on Jesus, the bread of life. Coming down the mountain, she opens her Bible and says, Daddy, what is the bread of life? She didn't do it again this morning, so that's not where I'm headed with this. I do want to say, though, that through the mouth of babes and infants, God has perfected praise. The book of Isaiah says, and the children shall lead them. I believe through the mouth of a child, God is calling us back to Jesus Christ. Christianity can get so complicated. Religions can be at war with one another. The world can be in chaos. But Jesus always brings it back to simplicity. Loving God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And loving our neighbor as ourself. He says all the law and all the prophets hang on these two commands. Love does no harm to its neighbor. And love is why we worship God. Not out of duty or obedience. Not out of homage. It is because we love him. and Because he desperately loves us. And so today, I want to bring this final message on thank God for Jesus with a message I'm calling the joy of his salvation. Throughout the Gospels, both Christmas stories, joy explodes on the scene. And all throughout the New Testament, joy is the main theme of the message of the Gospel. I want us to see this in the book of Luke and the Christmas story. I want you to recognize the anthem of joy that we see here in Matthew uh, or Luke chapter two, starting with verse eight. It says, now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over the flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, do not be afraid for behold, I bring you good tidings of what? Great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Can you bring my mic down just a tad, please? And this will be a sign to you, because I know I'm about to get excited. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger, and suddenly... Man, could you imagine of being the shepherds in this scene? Just an average day at work. You're out in the hills with your sheep, and all of a sudden, bam! The clouds burst forth with an angels, of a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God, kind of like Kyle times a million. Could you imagine that? And suddenly there was an angel with an angel and multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill, Toward men, Jesus' introduction to the human race was a thundering explosion of joy. But why was there so much joy from heaven? Because I believe this. Heaven knew, unlike the unsuspecting earth then and now, 
that the earth is in desperate need of salvation. And that you and I are in desperate need of salvation. And we need salvation and there is no hope for it. There is no hope to escape the fury of Satan or the justified wrath of God upon a sinful human race who has rejected God as their God. And the justice of heaven, if God is holy and God is true and God is just, then he has to judge sin. We get very disturbed when earthly judges overthrow justice. We ride in the streets when justice is overthrown. Because there's a sense of justice in us that came from the Father God in heaven. And we know when right and wrong do not meet with justice. And it infuriates us. This comes from the nature of God. We were made in His image. So God does not want to judge. But out of His holiness, He must This is why heaven explodes with joy. Because when the earth had no hope of escaping the wrath of God, they saw the mercy of God triumph over His justice. And He sent His Son to the earth. The angels were not rejoicing over a baby born. They were rejoicing over the future of this baby, growing up into a man who would then die on the cross for the sins of the human race, die, go to hell, be raised from the dead, and deliver the entire human race. Anyone who would come to Christ and make Him their Savior would be delivered, not only from the wrath of God, but they would also be delivered from the fury of Satan and be given authority over all the powers of the wicked one and become ministers and messengers of the good news of Jesus Christ in the earth till He returns again. Bam! They saw the plan of God un- un- unveiled in the, in, on the human scene. They saw it all. And yet, even to this day, There are people who don't believe it, people who don't want it, people who mock it. Like uh, a a lady from, uh, (laughs) there was just a news report recently. My My wife and I were looking at this. It was an NBC medical editor that said this about the Christmas season. What I don't like about the Christmas season is the religious part of it. She said, religion mucks it all up. And her counterpart said, okay, let me get this straight. So the guy who the season is all about is the one who mucks it all up, Jesus Christ. She says, yes, that's right. But listen, this is just spiritual blindness. This is just someone who is unaware of the grace of God and unaware of her own spiritual condition. Jesus said to a woman who had been married five times, and the woman, the man that she was living with um, was not her husband, and Jesus approaches her one-on-one at a well in Samaria, and he said to her, if you knew, if you knew, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that you're talking to right now, you would ask him for the living water. You see, one day my eyes were shut closed. You can ask my mom. My mom's in church today. Can you welcome my mom here today? As much as my mom likes to think that I'm perfect, and my wife can tell you that she thinks that, 
if she were honest, I was not the best teenager in the world. My eyes were shut closed until somebody came to me when I was 19 years old and they started talking to me about Jesus. And my response was, you're, <laughs> you're talking to the wrong guy. No, I don't think so. No. Because Jesus was that little plastic statue on my grandma's dashboard. It scared me. And my grandma with her, you know, her beehive hair and her cat glasses and driving that station wagon. And there's that little plastic Jesus on the dashboard staring at me, right? And I'm in the back seat. And the whole thing freaked me out. So when he was telling me about Jesus, I'm thinking this is what he's talking about. Until somebody explained to me that Jesus, who Jesus really was. But the reality is my mom raised me in faith, in the Catholic Church, and the awe of God, and the, the holiness of God, and the reverence of God, and, and the Bible. I mean, I was raised in a spiritual environment. Yet my eyes were spiritually closed. So it's, it's not an indictment against someone that they don't believe. It is just simply that their eyes have not yet been opened. If you have not come to Jesus Christ, I pray today in this service, the Holy Spirit will open your eyes and your heart and you will just crack your heart a little bit and pray the prayer I prayed when I was 19 years old. I went to church with this guy for a few times and I really just went the first time to get him to stop asking me to go. We can just get this over with. And when I went and I heard the gospel message, I was just blown away. See, God began to open my eyes. I went home after the third time. I remember the second time I was going, I was so excited. And I got in the car and I was ready to go and I realized, oh, I don't have any money. And I'm thinking, what's the cover charge, right? What bars are we going to hit tonight? And then I realized, I remembered, oh yeah, I'm not going to a bar tonight. I don't, there is no cover charge. The whole thing's free. I learned about tithing. But anyway, so I was so excited and I went to church with them again and I went to church with them again. The third time I came home, knelt down by my bed and I said, this was my prayer. Jesus, I don't know if you're real or not, but if you're who those people down at that church say you are, I want to, I'm, I'm asking you into my heart right now. And there was no angel. There was Kyle wasn't standing in my bedroom singing. Oh, that would have been pretty awesome. There was no heavenly host with him. I just cracked the door of my heart. And over the next weeks and months, Jesus Christ proved himself to me. He kept doing things that were more than a coincidence until I finally came to the place where I realized Jesus Christ really is alive. He really is responding to me, and I gave my life to him. And now, almost 30 years later, here I am loving him more today than I did that day. Exactly 30 years? Exactly 30 years. Yeah. I'm 31. So why does the salvation of Jesus Christ bring so much joy into a person's life? Number one, I'm going to give you three reasons why the, the, heaven, the heavenly, from heaven, heaven knows everything. When you get to heaven, you see everything. It's all clear. There's no smoke. There's no confusion. Heaven sees everything perfectly clear. That's why heaven is just exploding with joy when Jesus comes to the earth. So I want to try to explain why they were so excited for you and I when Jesus was sent. There's three things I want to say to you today about why the salvation of Jesus Christ brings joy into a person's heart. Number one, is it cold in here? It is cold in here. I'm cold and I'm just blowing a bunch of hot air and I'm still cold. I'm not sure if we can do something about that, but I'm going to. All right. Father, we pray for heat in the house in Jesus mighty name. Amen. Number one, salvation of Jesus in your life transforms 
your life into the life God originally intended you to live. It transforms your person and your purpose. Now, you might say, I, I, I don't want my life transformed. Oh, yes, you do. You see, you're driving an old beat up car right now that you think might, might be okay until he brings you the Ferrari or the Lamborghini, the car that you're intended to drive. My life as it was compared to my life today, it is just so shockingly full of purpose and thankfulness and godliness. I just, I, I know myself. I knew myself before Christ. I know myself now. My friends are so shocked. One of my best friends from high school flew out here with a video camera, came to my house. I hadn't seen him in five years. Like, what are you doing here? And he literally said, nobody back in our high school believes that you are a Christian and a pastor and that you're going to stay sexually pure till you get married. So I want to videotape you saying into the camera because they don't believe me. I remember a number of years ago, I was reading a scripture about the fulfilled life. A man who fears the Lord and his wife is like a, a, a vine in the middle of, of midst of his house, surrounded with olive branches with the children and the, the joy of the Lord being in that house. And I was about to pray that to pass, and I stopped, and I just started tearing up. I realized I don't need to pray for this. I'm living it. And I knew that it was by the skin of my teeth that I was living it. I knew it was purely by the goodness and undeserved mercy of God that He has restored my life and brought all good things into my life. I'm so humbled by the grace of Jesus Christ in my life. There's another man in the Bible that felt the exact same way when he met Jesus. I want you to go with me to the book of Luke in chapter 19. And I'm going to use my very cool iPad to do this with iPad 3, Luke 19. And uh, starting in verse 1, it says, Then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. And now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, who was a chief tax collector, a notorious sinner. And he was rich. Now, rich isn't wrong. I hope you all know that. Rich is from God. God makes people rich because of his goodness. But he was a chief tax collector. means he cheated people out of their money all the time. And Jerusalem, the way it was done then, was he would send his, uh, his uh, agents into the homes. They would take enough for Caesar, enough for Zacchaeus, and then they would take whatever they wanted for themselves. And so it was a racket. It was brutal. It was unrighteous. And he was the chief tax collector in the town, so he was deeply hated all throughout Jerusalem. And he sought to see who Jesus was, but could not because of the crowd, for he was short of stature. So he ran ahead and climbed up in a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, you dirty, rotten, short sinner. You are a pathetic human being. A waste of life. I'm disgusted to even look at you. Don't even look my way. Is that what Jesus said? Say no, we're allowed. <laughs> no, that's not what Jesus is about. He says, John, Zacchaeus, Mark. <laughs> Gary, you probably were raised a 
saint from the beginning. I won't go to him, Kathy. But Francisco over here, I know your story. Francisco! Make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. So when he made haste and came down, he received him, say it, joyfully. But when they saw it, they complained, saying, he's gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, look, Lord, I give, watch this transformation. I give half my goods to the poor. And if I've taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore full fourfold. This notorious, wicked, unrighteous sinner has lunch, one lunch with Jesus Christ. And in the middle of the lunch, he bursts out. If I've stolen anything from anybody, I give back fourfold and I give half my goods to the poor. Do you think he was transformed? His person and his purpose were completely transformed. He went being, being from a cheating, lying, selfish, conniving, people-using uh, chief tax collector to a benevolent, others-centered, giving human being. Jesus restored him in one afternoon. Jesus responds, today salvation has come to this house because he also is a son of Abraham for the son of man has come to tell sinners that they're sinners oh, I'm sorry for the son of man has come to shame I'm sorry I, I, I can't I'm, let me clean my glasses here and make sure I get the message of the gospel accurate here today on this Christmas morning let's say it out loud together just so you can help me for the son of man has come to what is it up there? Okay. Can you guys read today? For the Son of Man has come to... Okay, we need the next slide, please. Now, let's go back one. That's why you weren't following me. Okay, I'm just going to... Okay. Uh, all right. Can you go to the next slide? Let's go to the next slide. Uh, it's not up... Okay. So, we will, I will read it to you. Here's what the Bible says. Just trust me. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Paul, the apostle who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, was named Saul. He murdered Christians. He would go into churches with Roman soldiers. He would bust them to worship service just like this one. He would put us all in chains. He would drag us to Jerusalem and they would feed us to the lions. They'd put us in prison. That rip us apart, rip our families apart. And yet, Jesus Christ met him, and he went from, the, from Saul. Jesus changed his name to Paul. Do you know everyone who gives their life to Jesus Christ? In heaven, you actually get a brand new name. Some people get their name now, I guess because they need it. And so Jesus says, Saul, I need to change your name right now, man. Your name is now Paul. And Paul then evangelized the entire known world and wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. Do you think his person and his purpose were transformed by Jesus Christ? The woman at the well, married five times, living with a man is not his, 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 her husband. I'm getting confused with the husband-wife thing now that we live in California. <laughs> I'm sorry. It could... She was a broken woman. But when she met one meeting with Jesus Christ, instead of being a broken woman, she became a broker of salvation to the entire Sumerian town. That entire city got saved off of that first evangelist in the New Testament, who was a woman, by the way, 
and her life was healed and restored. There's a young man. Oh, I don't. Well, I just called you a young man. There is a young man in our congregation who has a very similar story from brokenness to a life transformation. I'd like you to hear from him now how Jesus Christ transformed his life. Phil, would you come and share your testimony with us this morning? Thank you. I'm really honored to be up here and humbled. Um, it just God has a sense of humor. I'm just imagining John going through his Lord, give me a name who was a snake in the past. <laughs> and the Lord said, Phil. <laughs> but um, I just want to honor my wife. This testimony, she supported me through the whole thing and uh, in more ways than one. Um, yes, uh, money was my God. You know, um, I was all about upward mobility because upward mobility gave me more money. Um, I gave up a 14-year military um, career because the military pay wasn't going to make me rich. So I took a job as an engineer, and I was laid off after 9-11, and I started selling cars. I did so well selling cars. I made more money my first year selling cars than I did the last year I was an engineer. And I was a master of switching new car buyers to used cars because there's more profit in used cars. I get a bigger commission. And I was also a master of turning um, finance into lease because in leases you made more money. I took pride in, in just doing huge what we called pounder deals, the deals that are just excessive profit in it. Um, my next step was finance manager because I heard the finance manager made double what a salesman made. So I became one. But with that double of pay came uh, double the lies and the cons. And then I met this guy named Jesus here in the gathering place. And he just flipped me upside down. <laughs> I, <laughs> immediately, the convictions just set in. So first was the lies, and, and I had to do this um, honestly. So I went from top finance manager to the bottom feeder. And the next one was tithing. I heard about tithing. I'm like, 10%? Are you, are you serious? That's like a mortgage, <laughs> right? <laughs> so the only Christian person I knew in the business was my general sales, ma sales manager, Harold Deem. So I went to his office, and he made double what I made. And I went up to him, and I said, buddy, you tithe? And he goes, absolutely. And this is the only reason I'm sitting up here. And then he said, Phil, if you don't have it in your heart to tithe, don't do it. But, you know, Jesus was within me. And I, it was a battle within me in the old self and then the self that God naturally created me to be. Yeah. And there was just no way my old self was going to win. There's <laughs> just no way. So there's a scripture that says if, you're, you know, if your hand's causing you to sin, cut it off. And so I left that high, extremely high-paying job. And I started my own business, which failed. And, uh, but I still broker deals. Brokering is helping people buy cars. And I enjoyed that because I was inside of the table. I was actually protecting my clients from the guys that I used to be. And I enjoyed that. And so it was three years of just 
nothingness. I mean, I watched my bank account go zero. You can knock on there and hear zero, 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 zero. <laughs> I really think that the Lord did that. So he, I will realize that he is my provider. So me and Christina went back to work, thank goodness. She was a breadwinner, and I was, you know, heard about that because uh, of my pride. But literally every single month, we were at the edge of our seat, just waiting for God to show up. Because mathematically, our bills were more than what we were bringing in every single month. But God is so faithful. Yeah. Uh, and we were trying, we were, we were faithful as well with our tithings and offerings during this time where we didn't have anything. And um, he showed up, you know, he'll showed up with a deal here and there for me. You know, I was in the Army Reserves, and the Army will put me on orders, you know, for a week or so. I mean, he just showed up every single time. There was one November, in November, I, it was Christina's 40th in January, and I was like, man, it's not going to happen. There's not going to be a Christmas. It doesn't look very good. And we were modifying my, uh, our loan and the, the modification got approved, and it said your, first, your next payment would be in April. So I was like, it freed up my mortgage for November, December, January. I mean, God gives, and he just doesn't give. He gives in abundance. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, now, <laughs> what we call men call, I'm back in the saddle. Um, my brokerage is, is doing great, and... Um, the Lord orchestrated a partnership. We have a used car lot in Temecula, a partnership with the same guy that gave me the tithing lesson, Harold Deem. And, um, and you guys are in business together, yes. and God's blessing you. And here's, here's what's so beautiful. Can we thank God for his testimony? Thank you. Uh, now, here, here's, here's my observation of uh, Phil and Christina. Uh, First of all, Phil and Christina, uh, all they care about is giving money to people who need it. And there's a missionary couple right here in our church who they, they said, we, they came to us and they said, are we allowed to just give money to certain missionaries, you know, without through the church? I said, you guys do whatever you want. And they said, because we want to give. He said, I want to give $50 out of every sale I make. I want to send it uh, to them. And then he went to the Lord and said, we need to give them more money. You know, I need more sales. And he started. So their whole purpose of prospering was to bless others. You see, it's like the Zacchaeus testimony. That's the kingdom of salvation has come to this house. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> secondly, secondly, they took over a ministry that, um, uh, that the Peralts, um, Matthew and Benita Peralt started called Abba's Practical Connection. Well, they find needs in the body that are not being met, practical needs. They oversee this ministry now that they pioneered, and they're the ones now looking to help the poor and the needy and the suffering and, and the destitute. They oversee that ministry now. And also, the joy that I see in Phil and Christina, and those of you that are in their connect group, I know it's one of your favorite places to go. These guys have so much joy, and they're so humble, and they're so loving and uh, I, I tell you, I've just seen a life transformation in, uh, in you, Phil, and it is, it is uh, undeniable. And I'm just so thankful for you. Amen. So I guess the question, Phil, would be, do you have more joy in your life now or, or back then before you met Christ? Absolutely now. Yeah. I forgot to say that, that when I... Go ahead. 
Well, I used to watch my bank account grow, and that's what filled me. You know, driving my BMW was fill, what filled me. But, I mean, you should see what I drive now. <laughs> <laughs> and you have more joy. Absolutely. That is what salvation brings into a person's life, is this tremendous joy. So first, salvation transforms your life into the life God originally intended you to live transforms your person and your purpose. Secondly, it transcends your sin and heals your relationship with God. There was a, uh, a religious man who invited Jesus over to his house for lunch, Simon, the Pharisee. And as Jesus is eating lunch with a guy, this woman who was a notorious sinner bust into Simon's home, which is, if you understand the social protocol in Jerusalem at that time, this is... This is beyond unacceptable, but she doesn't care because she met Jesus. She busts into Simon's house uninvited, falls at Jesus' feet, weeping, and her tears are cleaning his feet, and she wipes his feet with her hair. And Simon, Jesus reads his thoughts, and Simon is saying, if this man were truly a prophet, he would know what manner of woman this is that's touching him. And Jesus said, Simon, I have a question for you. Now, whenever Jesus says that to you and... You know you've crossed the line. I have something to say to you. Oh, he says, imagine somebody owed someone $500,000 and somebody else owed the same person $500. And the debtor, uh, or the, uh, yeah, the debtor, uh, the debtor, huh? The creditor, thank you, the debtor. The creditor, help me, I'm falling apart. The creditor forgives both of them. He says, which one? would be the most thankful. And Simon says, well, I hope this isn't a trick question. He said, well, obviously the man that but given a greater debt. He said, that's right. He said, when I came in here, you didn't give me feet or water to wash my feet. <laughs> I wonder if the sermon is supposed to be over. I wonder if the Holy Spirit's lifting from me right now and the grace of teaching is completely disappearing. When I came to your house, you did not even give me feet. Mom, there's some things that have not changed. You were just thinking that, weren't you? If you all knew me as a teenager, you would say, you don't lose all of you when you come to Jesus. I think you become more you. That's right. Now I say stupid things under the anointing. said, you didn't give me water to wash my feet. You didn't give me the common courtesy of of oil to anoint my head, but she has not ceased to wash my feet with her tears and dry them with her hair. And then he says this in Luke seven thirty seven: I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. But a person who has forgiven little shows only little love. Now, here's the truth. He didn't have fewer sins than her. He actually had more sins because he was self-righteous and condemning, which is worse than the sin of another person. He just didn't know the condition of his own life before God. And I believe this is the condition of many of us, even those of us who are believers and most of the world. We do not see the condition of our sin before God. That's why heaven bursts forth in an anthem of joy and the earth is kind of like, yeah, whatever. But when a revelation comes to you of your sinful state before God, then you and I recognize the worth of Jesus Christ. In fact, without understanding the depth of our debt to God because of our sins, we will never value 
Jesus to the degree that he deserves. I mean, you see Peter, who's fishing with Jesus. Jesus, the rabbi. Peter, the fisherman. Jesus teaches, and then he says, Peter, let's go fishing. And Peter says, it's not time to fish. You don't fish in the middle of the day. I'm the fisherman. You're the rabbi. Trust me. And Jesus says, no, let's go fishing. So Peter goes out in the middle of the lake, and then Jesus says, throw your net into the water. You're like, okay, throws a net into the water. Let's humor the preacher. And all of a sudden, the net is filled with fish, and Peter's eyes are open. You're not just a rabbi. You are the son of God falls down at Jesus' feet and says this, Depart from me, I am a sinful man, O Lord. You see, when we get a revelation of God and His holiness and awesomeness, we immediately get instantaneously a revelation of our own sinfulness. That is a very important moment. Because until you and I understand our brokenness and our spiritual destitution, we have no need for Jesus Christ. But once our eyes are open to our true spiritual state, we cry out to God... And you don't even need to be, you don't even need to get halfway through your crying out to God that He comes and just wraps you up in His arms and says, I've been waiting for you to cry out to me. And wipes away your sin because of the sacrifice of His Son Jesus. The, 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 the heavenly, heavenly, heaven's courts have been satisfied. The justice has been satisfied in heaven because of the life of, and death of Jesus Christ. God's salvation is a free gift because it had to be. There is no way, there's no possible way you and I could ever earn our salvation. Why? Because the penalty of sin is death. It is like those of you who have lost your homes. You could not pay the bank. And your house went into foreclosure and you lost your home. You lost your shelter. You lost your dream. And there was no hope. That's devastating. But that is just a temporal thing. As hard as it is, it is a temporal thing. We're talking about your soul. The eternal part of you. And the Bible says you have no hope. Because the penalty of our sin against God is not going to church, it's not tithing, it's not doing good works, it's not being a good person. Let's see what the Bible says the penalty of sin is. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is, what? Death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Look what Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9 says, God saved you by His grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a, the third time we've seen it, say it out loud, a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. The reason salvation brings joy to a person's life is because it transcends your sin. It transcends your sin and heals your relationship with God. Stop working for your salvation and just receive Jesus Christ as your Savior and heaven's course will be satisfied. They will look at your sin and say, oh my God. Then they'll look at the blood of Jesus Christ and say, that is sufficient. Then they see you put your faith in the blood of Jesus and heaven says, your sin is gone. I don't even see it anymore. And the Spirit of God enters you and you become a son or a daughter of God the moment you receive Jesus Christ. It is a free gift from heaven. That is why heaven is shouting hallelujah 
hallelujah, with a Christmas message. That's why Jesus says in Isaiah 12, 3, with joy you will drink deeply from the fountain of salvation. And then finally, salvation in a person's life transfers your soul from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Listen to this profound, all-encompassing passage out of the book of Colossians. May you be filled with joy. Always thanking the Father, for He has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to His people who live in the light. For He has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of His dear Son, who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. That's why Romans fourteen seventeen says, For the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. When you give your life to Jesus Christ, the moment you do it, and you can do it this morning, I'll give you an opportunity in just a few moments. You pray the prayer and say, Jesus, I'm asking you into my life. God is watching. God hears. He's hearing me go on and on this morning. He's hoping that you will receive his son, Jesus Christ. If you do, and I know this is an old illustration for those of you that remember tar- Star Trek. Do you remember Beam Me Up, Scotty? Do you remember how they would stand there? And, they would, and all of a sudden they'd say, Beam Me Up, Scotty, and go, right? And then their bodies, the molecules would disappear, and then they'd reappear somewhere else. That's exactly what happens. Well, that's <laughs> metaphorically what happens. When you, give, when you give your life to Jesus Christ... You don't see it, but heaven does. Literally, your soul is transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the dear Son of His love. And you'll catch up to the reality of that the day Jesus Christ returns again, and all the naysayers and mockers' mouths will be shut, and you will ascend into heaven with Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and you will realize in that moment, my soul, that day I gave my life to Jesus Christ, truly was transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, and I don't deserve it. It was a free gift, and you will shout hallelujah and thank you, God, for the rest of eternity. So I said, let's just begin now. For those of you who have received Jesus Christ as your Savior, I want to ask you this question this morning. Have you lost the joy of His salvation in your life? If so, maybe you've been distracted by other things. Maybe you've turned Him into a Santa Claus and you're just mad because your prayers aren't getting answered. Let me ask you this question. It's a question that Jesus asked Kathy Mancini, one of our elders here in the church. One day Jesus said to her, If I never answered another one of your prayers... Would my salvation in your life be enough? I'm going to ask you to close your eyes with me this morning, if you will. And if you're a believer here today, you've given your life to Jesus, this question is for you. Just close your eyes, and between you and God, honestly answer this question. God would say to you, If I never answered another one of your prayers, is my salvation enough for you. I'm going to ask you this again. I want you I want this to sink deep inside of you this morning. God would say to you, 
if I never answered another one of your prayers on earth, would my salvation in your life be enough for you? Okay, now look at me. There was a young boy who tended sheep on the backside of the desert. That was his life. It was simple. And he loved it. He took care of his dad's sheep. He had a little guitar. And he sang worship songs to God. And that's all he did. And he was happy. That's where many of the psalms in the Bible come from. This little teenage boy with his guitar on the backside of the desert taking care of his dad's sheep. That's where many of those psalms come from. Simple. I just love God. And then it just happens that he kills Goliath in front of the entire Israeli army. And the king makes him the captain of his army. And then they start singing his praises. And then one day he's made king. He becomes the most powerful man on earth. He has wealth. He has power. He has prestige. He has women. He has a concubine. His castle. And he got bored. He forgot. The simplicity of just loving God. And he sees a woman and he wants her. So he takes her. Well, it happened to be the wife of one of his military men. He got her pregnant. So he calls the military man off the field. And he says, why don't you go home? You got him drunk. Why don't you go home and be with your wife? Then you go out to the battle so that it could be a cover-up. Go home and have sexual relations with your wife so people think it's your baby. He didn't say this to him, but this was his plan. The guy wouldn't do it. He was too loyal. He says, I can't go home and be with my wife when my comrades are out on the battlefield. And he sleeps at the king's front porch. So the king gets him drunk again the next night, tries it again, it doesn't work. So he tells the commander of his army, send him back into the battle, and then pull back and let him get murdered. So he commits adultery, first degree murder. The prophet comes in. Uh, months later, as David's moved on, thinking, I covered up my sin, everything's fine. And the prophet tells him a story about a man who had one sheep and another man who had hundreds of sheep. And the man with hundreds of sheep took the man's one sheep from him. And he says, what should we do with this man? And the king said, that man should be thrown into prison. And he said, you are the man. You have all this. And yet you take your neighbor's wife, his only wife. You are the man. And David breaks and he begins to cry out to God. And he writes a psalm, Psalm 51, one of the most profound psalms in the whole Bible, the greatest psalm of repentance in the Bible. And there's one phrase in there that I think is the catchphrase. It is the phrase. For me, it is the anchor of that entire chapter. It's the most important pivoting point. And I want to say it to you today. It might apply to you. He says this. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Can you go to that passage, please, Rob? Psalm 51. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. He had lost the most important thing in his life, which was the joy of God's salvation. It wasn't the chariots, the women, the castle, the fame, the power, the acclaim, 
He had lost the thing that meant the most to him was the joy of his salvation. And maybe you're in here today, and God's going to restore your joy, the joy of his salvation in your life this morning. If you will say to him, your salvation is the only thing that matters to me. Thank you, God. Come back to that place this morning. Recenter your life on Christ. That's what this whole series has been about, coming back to Jesus. And maybe you're here today and you have never received Jesus Christ as your Savior. I'm going to ask you to take that visitor card that's in your bulletin. I'm going to ask you to write your name down on there. And I want you to write on there, giving my life to Jesus today. And I want you to either take it back to the resource center on your way out, put it on the table, or bring it up here to me and I'll pray with you. But in your bulletin, there's a visitor card. Put your name on there. Put your phone number on there or your email address and say, giving my life to Jesus today. But I want to pray this prayer with you. Then I want to sing the song about Jesus together as a congregation and release you to your Christmas holidays and celebration. But if you've never received Jesus Christ as your Savior today, I want you to pray this prayer with me right now. You can just stop right whatever you're doing. Just pray this prayer with me. You're ready to crack the door of your heart like I did when I was a 19-year-old college student. Crack the door of your heart and say, Jesus, if you're real, I'm letting you in. Just right there in your chair, just let this roll off your lips. Just pray this prayer. Say, Jesus, I'm inviting you into my heart right now to be my Savior. I believe everything he has said today is true. And I need your forgiveness in my life. And I'm saying yes to Jesus. If you prayed that prayer, would you please fill out that card and leave it here with, with us? If you're here today and you've lost the joy of his salvation in your life, would you tell him as we're singing this song that you're coming back for the joy of his salvation and letting that be your song this season? Let's all stand. Care, so we lead us in this place?